What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan, is The Ringer's latest narrative podcast. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then, cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Rear Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango. I have Chris Yang with me, and we are going to do a dad's episode with Tom Wyman. We'll get to him in a second, where we go, where <laughs> we have never gone before on this podcast, and talk to someone actually incredibly intelligent about the existential questions about being a parent and bringing life into this world, something that... I think I talk I talk about to Chris a lot, and and I don't know how you guys will take it because <laughs> <It's, laughs> it gets I, in some ways academic. But we're hearing a guy in some way give us an explanation after this crazy year why it's important to have children, right? Yeah, and that's basically it. it it's a very crazy podcast. I mean, we're talking about a very important topic. It, it should be said. You know, is it responsible to have kids? What does it mean to have kids? You know, these are real questions that Dave, like he said, has wrestled with. We've we've talked to one another about them. But there was a point in this podcast where you guys were talking about philosophers, and I was just nodding along, being like, "Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know who the fuck you guys are you're on about." But it's all worth getting into, especially because it's Father's Day this weekend. Oh, it is Father's Day, and I don't even I didn't remember it was because I I hope that nothing happens. It's just another day. <laughs> So what's been happening uh, in your 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 neck of the fathering woods, Dave? You guys are preparing for a couple of big moves. How's uh how's Hugo doing with all that? Is he aware of of activity in your home? Yeah, he's confused. There's just so much change happening. Um, all he wants to do though is is go for a drive now, or yeah. <laughs> watch TV or read. Yeah. So I'm all actually. All three simultaneously if he's in a car. 
with an <laughs> iPad and a book, multitask. <laughs> um, but I, I, I feel like I'm finally having a connection with Hugo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about other dads out there, but I mean, for the least a year and a half, you're sort of inconsequential to mm-hmm. his life. Like you don't provide nutrients. I helped out wherever I could. I fed him, but like, even now he doesn't want me. He still asks for mom all the time. I would too. Right. But I feel like now he's what, 27 months. It's getting awesome. Yeah. It, it is becoming the best part of anything. And it's seriously why I didn't want to go to the Clippers game. It's like, I want to, I like, I felt a little bit like, um, <laughs> that seed in Goodwill hunting. I had to see about it. <laughs> I had to I see, had to about, see about a girl instead of going to the baseball <laughs> game. Like I would much rather go home and spend time because I've been away from home a lot more than like do something that I've done before many times. Mm-hmm. That's the way you put it right there is so interesting to me because whenever I'm away from my kids, I feel like I might be missing something that will either never happen again or that I have never seen before. Like that's every day of being a parent is you might see something you've, as opposed to a basketball game, whatever, drinking with your buddies. I've, I love you all, but I've seen it, you know? And for me, I I guess being later in my years and being a parent for the first time, it's something I really appreciate more than ever. And I will say, I think, and I've told my shrink this all the time, being a dad and being a partner to grace while being a dad, I think being a dad is the best version of me I've ever been. Mm-hmm. unequivocally so and listen like chris and i we, we have a lot of work going on like i hate work mode dave i hate mm-hmm. it it bums me out because i don't know how to turn it off just like pushing trying to make things better constantly and it doesn't negatively impact me but it actually hinders a lot of the i think personal work i've done for myself about trying to be present trying to be grateful trying to be in the moment and when i'm with him you know like I don't want to look at my phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not perfect. Yes, I do. But I feel like I'm so in tune with the here and now when I'm with him than I am at any other moment in my life. And I'm like, this is a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I really cherish it. And like, we can have full, like not full converse, but conversations now often about total nothing. Like literally we had about the letter a the other day. You know, it's like, I don't know what you're trying to tell me, but it's extremely cute. But you're trying to tell me all the ways he sees A in the world. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And I'm like, that's not an A. What, what, what the, On the street, it's not an A. <laughs> but he's just like, oh, yeah. And then he says something else. You're like, oh, I guess the conversation's moving forward now. Yeah, just keep yeah. going. No, it's the it's awesome. It's awesome. And, and honestly, we talk a little about it today. It's like the pooing. We talk about it, I think, a little bit with Tom. Like, I put him down today, and it's taken a long time because we've been trying to train him to get used to me putting him down because Grace won't be able to put him down for naps or bedtime because she's going to be busy taking care of baby number two, and she's going to be in the hospital. And I'm going to, like, a lot of people are going to have to step up with child number two, something you've had to do. And I've heard from a lot of people that have two kids that, the person that is not giving birth usually is an opportunity to get closer to the first child. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like that's sort of happening already because now in the mornings, occasionally, it's still like 90% I want mom, but now there's an occasional like, appa, 
And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. I want that. That makes my day. I'm like, I'm at a moment now where he's going to never remember that this happened, but these are going to be moments as to why he's going to be able to take a shit by himself <laughs> as an adult later. Yeah. It's amazing to me. And like, I'm trying to teach him the feeling in his body that he can maybe take a bigger poo at once, not separate it like <laughs> it's a three-course meal. Right, like do it in like 20-second spurts. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, right you. now I'm okay with it because I say for lunch today, like for his nap, he's still taking naps, thank God. I don't really feel weird talking about this. He took three poos. <laughs> three poos <laughs> in a span of like 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. And each mm-hmm. time, I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, I put him on the toilet. I'm like, whatever. Okay. Nothing's going to happen. Sure enough, he goes to the bathroom. And I'm like, because he, he's now like, about poo poo pee pee. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Okay. But now, I don't know if he's crying wolf, but he actually never cries wolf. He actually always goes poo poo pee pee whenever he says poo poo pee pee. <laughs> it's just a lot. And now I'm trying yeah. to figure out like, okay, this is something that maybe other parents can relate to. So now when I put him down, I don't put a diaper on him or his pants for the first like 30 minutes because I don't want to put the diaper on, take it off, take his pants. So I've been trying to just like for the first 30 minutes, no, no pants, no pants. <laughs> <laughs> just Winnie the Pooh, Donald Duck. He looks like it. a little, like a, a little pig cartoon, you know, like with a shirt <laughs> off. Yeah. Just Donald Duck. Just yeah, all Donald off Duck. the bottoms. Yeah, Donald, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, it worked for a couple weeks. <laughs> but now he's like, now he's on to it. Now yeah. he's on to it. Now, when I take him off the changing table and I put him down and he's like, pants? He, won't, he doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, part of this is me coming to his perspective and understanding like, just because I'm a kid, he's like, I don't want to have my ass. I don't want to be naked. I'm like, fuck you, dad. <laughs> like, that's basically what he's telling me. Yeah. He's like, he's like, just, I know it's more I'm a convenient human. for you, but I don't want to yeah. sleep pantsless yeah. put some yeah, fucking I don't pants want to hang out the next 30 40 minutes without <laughs> pants on <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm incredulous i'm the one that's like no you got to use the bathroom <laughs> so so he's training me uh-huh. ironically he's training me cuz now it only works if i put the diaper on full and i put on his pants on and i treat him like a real fucking human being not like a toddler, not even a toddler. I don't know. And then, then he'll go to the bathroom. But now he will not go to the bathroom if he doesn't have a diaper and pants on. So he's trained me. And I've learned that I know nothing. And I'm the one that's like, I'm the child here. And he's the master. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what you're saying is like, it resonated with me when you said, you know, you're trying to teach him this. I don't even, it's basic, fundamental thing, right? Like if you sit on the toilet, even after you've pooped your first poop, Maybe sit there for a little longer because, like, maybe you're not done and you can go more. Like, that's a, a that's fundamental information for us as adults. And, and I remember a couple of years ago going to the zoo with my daughter and realizing it was the first time she was going to drink out of a drinking fountain and just watching her try to do this. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> She's just like moving her mouth, like trying to bite the water <laughs> as it's coming out of the spout. And I was like, oh, I realize now that I have to teach you these like fundamental facts about existence. And, you know, like another thing you were saying was really interesting is like, 
you know, I'm sure when you say like, oh, I'm finally really connecting with Hugo, it's not like you haven't felt love or affection or a deep human connection to your child, but it is really hard for, I think, I mean, for me and probably a lot of other dads where you don't have not only like the, you don't have like the actual biological connection of, hey, if you need milk, you attach yourself to my body and I give it to you, right? Like we don't have a, an easy way to communicate in that thing where like, hey, kid, you need something. Let me give it to you directly from me. And as they're able, as Hugo's able to say what he wants and, and you know, my kids have been able to say what they want, you can give them something and like that connection forms more naturally. And I remember reading a long time ago before I had kids, like if you ask a, a, a first time mom or, a, you know, an expecting mom, to describe their concerns or, or what they're looking forward to about parenthood, they'll talk about like, I can't wait to bring the baby home for the first time. And I'm, you know, I'm worried about breastfeeding. I'm worried about changing diapers. And if you ask a dad, their answers are usually like, oh, I'm really looking to like forward to, you know, showing them how to tie their shoes and ride a bike and throw, throw a ball and all of these things that don't happen for two or three or four or five years, it's because we, we have just like, like dads, I think we have a hard time imagining those like very early days where the connection has to be formed. Yeah. And, and just sort of got me thinking while I've been traveling and going to work a lot more outside of the house, just working, not in home. The other day I wanted to show him how to get a scooter. Cause all these kids are using scooters. And I was like trying to show him and he's like, he just didn't do it. And then mm -hmm. this morning He's scootering all over the place. <laughs> yeah. You know, and amazing. I was like, oh, he basically was like, Dad, I've already figured this out. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't need you to show me this thing. Yeah. yeah along, along those lines, I should say there's like, I'm talking about all like the fundamental shit you need to, to teach your kid. I had one amazing parenting win moment where I was like, oh my God, my daughter is the best. And I never had to teach her this thing where <laughs> we, I made popcorn. And she's eating. She loves popcorn. She ate like the whole fucking bowl of popcorn. And as she gets down to the bottom, like near the end of the bowl, I never instructed this. It just came naturally to her. And I was so proud. She like took the popcorn and started rubbing it against the bottom of the bowl to get all of the butter and salt on nice, it. Nice, and then nice. eat it. And I was like, oh man, that is a wonder. That's like brings a tear to nice. my eye. Truly nice. beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, I love how they figure that out. And like Hugo's figuring out how to cook. He loves watching me cook, and now that's all he does is he practices yeah. sautéing and flipping. And, and that actually, I'm like, oh. But I'm like, <laughs> instead of me saying don't become a cook or don't be in the industry, I have to remind myself there's a lot of different ways you can have a career in the restaurant industry should he so choose. And that's where I'm trying very hard not to be like my dad and determine like what he can and cannot do. Like We took him to the golf range yeah, because I just wanted to see what it was like. The first thing he said was, I swear to God, we got out. He said, I want a glove. Glove. <laughs> and he saw that everyone had gloves. He said, he wanted a glove. And I don't know. It makes me concerned. And I don't wonder how you feel when your kid is maybe potentially interested in doing something. Like, I have a lot of reservation of, like, making him do anything. Well, can I say this, though? Because I, I hear what you're saying. You know, like, the kitchen and golf have both been are two things you're very good at and were driven to do early and have been sources of a lot of pain for you. But can I suggest this? I actually think that the fact that Hugo's so interested in cooking and playing along and sauteing and flipping things, to me, that's directly him seeing what you do and connecting to you. Like, that is what's really happening. My kids, like, show interest in it. Like, they don't really care. But, like, you know, I'm sure Hugo's going to grow up with a lot of opinions about food. 
And I think he's going yes, he to eat a lot of different things because you're going to show a lot of enthusiasm for it. And him showing interest in cooking to me is just him being like, I see dad doing this all the time. And this is me doing what dad does, you know? It's amazing. And like, he actually makes dishes on his own somehow, some way, not with his fake stuff, but now he doesn't want to use his toys, his fake pans. He wants to use my pans. <laughs> it is so crazy. But, um, I don't know. Like this has been awesome, and I am I'm strangely grateful for the pandemic because I got to spend real time. I'm terrified as all hell for having child number two. Um, I'm really scared. I'll be honest. I'm fucking scared. I'm so fucking scared because I, I I don't know how this is going to. I mean, I don't know how people do this. It's a different kind of scare than the first go round because now it's like, oh, I we we have a rhythm. We know how to do this. But it's not like he knows how to do anything by himself yet. He's And we're going to have another one. I'm like, how the fuck do you have the time to do this? I don't know how anyone had twins. And in some ways, having twins might be easier than having two kids at a different age. And that's scaring me. That is scaring me because, yeah. I mean, you went through this. It's fucking weird. It's No, but I mean, it's hard to describe what you're, you know, you're scared of. It doesn't feel like there's enough time left over in your day right now, I'm sure, Dave, to raise another kid. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel physically possible to do anything. And, and what I was afraid of, and maybe you're afraid of too, is like, God, you know, we have such a, you, you develop such a strong love and connection to your firstborn. And I remember having conversations with Jamie where I was like, is there a way for your capacity for, for love to grow enough that like my first child, it's not going to mean taking away something from the first kid to care for the second, you know, is, is am I going to be able to maintain all of the attention I give? And, and frankly, the answer is no, no. <laughs> you can't. I know. I'm still, I'm still gra grappling with all this stuff. Again, it makes me have a deeper well of empathy for my mom. I don't know how she had four kids again by herself. You hear all these things. And if I was a single person without any children, and be like, oh, what are these guys fucking talking about? But I promise you, if you have kids and you're listening to this, whenever I hear someone talk about this stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. like this podcast, if you're now, what, almost 20 minutes in, if it's relating to you, it's because we want it to relate to you. And if it doesn't relate to you at all, maybe one day it will, because hopefully this is something you can listen to, because these are the things that nobody sort of told me or they did, but I wasn't ready to hear it. Yeah. You know, I wasn't ready to hear it because now I listen to almost anybody that has multiple kids and I'm like, I'm thankful for their sage advice. It may not be what I do, but I like hearing the, how hard it was not to commiserate in the misery, but to know that it's possible and to know that the simplest things from bath time to how am I going to feed two kids simultaneously to the fights they're going to have, these are all just normal and I'm excited. And I guess I spend a lot of my time when I'm not working thinking about what is he going to look like and what is he going to be like, the, the second baby. And I don't know, man. I think that I still think they're going to, I don't even know how anyone has two kids because it's so fucking weird to me that more than likely the second child will look nothing like or right. be like your other kid. Well, think about how different you are from your siblings. You know what I mean? Like, I think that both of us probably has some expectation, like, it'll be basically the same. But, like, every kid is... I mean, I'm learning, at least with my kids, they could not be more different. 
Like they're just so, so different. And it's exciting. And it's also so fucking frustrating. Cause like you've with Hugo, you're like, I got it. I got the technique now. This is foolproof. And then kid number two is going to be like, Oh, you think that dumb trick's going to work? You think taking my yeah. pants off before I take a nap works? Get the fuck out of here, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I'm constantly underestimating the intelligence of kids and particularly Hugo because that's what has been the most bewildering and awe-inspiring thing is they just don't have the means to vocalize what they're seeing, but that doesn't mean that they don't know what's going on. Like, 100%. They know. That only gets more crazy as they're able to be more verbal like verbal about it. You're gonna, you can't get anything by them. They notice everything. It's already happened. I can't fool him. Mm-hmm. Can't fool him on anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to do. That's the shit that scares me. I'm like, it was a lot easier when I could just tell you and fool you. And it, it, like the fooling for those that don't have kids, it would be like the physical act of throwing a ball to someone else and your child being in the middle and then like believing that you threw the ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All my acts of parenting to fool him were some version of that. And that right. metaphor. And now he never believes that I've actually thrown the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, need, I need some new tricks. So if you have tricks, let me know. Because feeding him right now has become extremely difficult for me. It has gone from the, the, one of the best parts of my life to now like, how the fuck am I going to get nutrients into a system? I, I've been thinking about you a lot in those terms because, you know, I think that's always been your your battle with Hugo is figuring out how to get him to eat things. And although Hugo's a big kid and, and eats just fine, I know, like, it means a lot to you to get him to eat things. And for me, Ruby always ate really well. Like, I sometimes, like, <laughs> we had a doctor's appointment where Keith didn't, like, grow a ton. And I started freaking out. I don't, I'm not, I'm not like trying to be obsessed about like how big my kid gets, but I was like, what do we do? How do we, how, what do we, what, what, what should we do? Like, do I, do I make special high protein smoothies for him? Like, how do I, how do I, what do I do? And, and Jamie, my wife was like, he's not dying. The doctor said he's totally healthy and fine and above average. Like, don't freak out. And I was like, well, but he's not growing fast enough. Like, what do I do? So like, I'm in the same boat now. I can't get the kid to eat a goddamn thing. He just likes fried food. Not a surprise because it's more delicious than vegetables. <laughs> I, I don't understand. When I think about it too, it's like, why would he like it? I don't want to eat this shit either. <laughs> yeah. This is the realization I'm always coming to, right? Like, I don't want to eat this paste. <laughs> why do I expect this kid to do it? You don't need raw carrots. Why the fuck do I want to eat raw carrots? <laughs> Yeah, it's you one don't thing eat if he's salad never, without it being cop salad. Uh, I don't eat one, salad. It's one thing if he's never tasted anything before, but like Hugo's had ice cream. <laughs> he's tasted good shit now. Like my kids have tasted the good stuff. They don't. Want I, I try to give him like a sorbet popsicle. He's like, no, it's not ice cream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one of the tricks, right? You're like, oh, it's it's ice cream. It's ice cream. He's like, no, it's not fucking ice cream. Anyway, I changed that orange juice ran on him today. And he says, it's too sour. It's not, it's, it's too sour. I was like, what the fuck does he know? I, I tasted know. it. Honestly, I was like, this tastes like the one that I bought. Usually. <laughs> like, honestly, no, my dude. part was like, I think it's the same. He knew. He knew something was different about this. <laughs> They're both fresh squeezed orange juice. Yeah. I don't know how the hell he knew. He knew something was wrong. And he said, it's, so, it's too sour. And he pushed it away. 
God, see, and that's exactly like, the kind of it. trick, though. You used to be able to just like put something that looked like something else in front of them, and they would just eat it. And now it's like they can taste it. Unreal. So now I have resorted to doing the thing that I hated. And I know a lot of parents capitulate to this. I was like, I'm going to make everything. I'm going to only feed him the best things that I can afford to give him. And I have now been like, you hungry? Uh, here's here's the macaroni and cheese on the box. (laughs) You like the hot dog? Okay. Here's 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. I've caved so hard on some of these things. Fucking my my daughter lords it over me too whenever she eats like plain like she knows that plain buttered pasta is like verboten in our house and she goes somewhere else and has it and she's like and we had plain pasta and I'm just like god damn it kid like oh man it sucks yeah, yeah. so um, I don't know the, the joys of being a parent are different and you know one of the things that's freaking me out is like now I have to make food for my family my in-laws will be staying with us again to help out thank god thank god I don't know how anyone does it Um, so I have to make all kinds of meals, a specific meal for Hugo. And then I'm going to have to make food just for baby two. And I'm going to have to make food for Grace who will be nursing. I was like, how the fuck, what, how, how am I going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. But all of it, my mostly, my concern actually is going to be, I got to feed Hugo. And then I got to realize like, no, 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 Dave, you got to feed everybody. And you can't just love this first baby more than the second baby. Yeah. But the uh, the meals where I had the most luck literally feeding the exact group you're talking about, like parents, two children with different dietary needs and all of that has always been hot pot. <laughs> it's like such a fucking savior in our house because like it's interactive. So Ruby's into it. She gets to eat like a bunch of stuff that she wants. Everything is dipped into a sauce or whatever so it can be as seasoned as you want it to be. And I can just like boil whatever and put it in front of Keith and he can eat like the least seasoned version. Like if it wasn't so goddamn hot, we'd be eating hot pot all the time. That's been like the savior for us. Is is Hugo into, does he like hot pot? Do you guys do that? No, he doesn't eat. He really (laughs) just eats rice. He eats, well, you can serve rice in the uh, He eats rice. He doesn't, he says every night he wants cereal, milk in a glass and eggs. He'll eat the eggs. So I try to cook the eggs in butter to give him more more calories or a, a lot way more butter than I normally would. And he'll eat that. But now he doesn't even like cereal. He just eats the drinks the cereal milk. He just wants cereal for the cereal milk. That's it. Smart man. And He's a smart, smart man. man. And basically every other meal is rice. Some uh, r- rice and rice all the time and if I he- if I sneak anything into the rice, he's not eating it. He's just got a great palate. I'm proud of him for his palate, but man. Detecting anything else. I used and, the and inverse no. trick though. On, I used the inverse trick the other day on Ruby because she only, she'll only eat rice as well. And she only likes her eggs like perfectly sunny side up, which like I just hate making, frankly. And so like I wanted her to, make, to eat an omelet. Well, if you're going to do sunny side up, you got you to gotta put the lid on. You got to do the lid. That's the only way to do it for sure. That's why I have been doing it. But I wanted her I wanted her to like eat something else, so I made a a rice omelet. And she like first was like I don't like omelets. I don't like scrambled eggs. And then I saw that she'd eaten all of it and I was like, "Hey, you eat all your you ate all your omelet." And she was like, "I didn't know it had rice in it." <laughs> so, that was the only other trick I had to get kids to eat something slightly more than just what they do. Um I think one of the things that 
I want to do on the dads besides just do maybe a possible spin out of just dads where we'll have more tips and products and just sort of useful dad stuff other than just us pontificating our own experience. The two things, one of which is like, I would, I think one day would not be far fetched for Chris and I to do a kid's book, but I just found out that the very hungry caterpillar, mm-hmm. the author died. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And, I would never give a shit about this book or the author if I didn't have a kid. This book is so fucking loved. I think this guy created some kind of uh, like brainwashing thing. And these mm-hmm. these these books are a lot like like Baby Shark. They just brainwash their kids to for whatever reason. I've read The Hungry Caterpillar so many times. I don't even know why it's loved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think it's the art. But why I wanted to bring it up is Hugo ripped one of the pages and I told him Oof. not to do it. Oh, no. And he ripped it. And we were reading it the other day, oh, today, the earlier today, on his first nap. And he actually now was like, two pairs eaten. He said it on that page. <sighs> I was like, how the fuck? Uh, how the because fuck? he had split it into two? No, he saw it. Oh, he no, saw because he saw two. the two pairs. Oh, wow. Yeah. But but maybe because we've read it a bunch, but that wasn't what surprised me the most, which is why I think these books become so loved. I'm sure every parent has had some moment because they've read this book so many times that they can see the progress and development. So every time we read it, we, we have to like sort of like, it's the page with the five oranges. We have to sort of like fix it up. And today he's like, this is, this is ripped because I ripped it because dad said not to rip it, but I still ripped it. <laughs> he didn't say it like that clearly, no, but he I basically said, I, though, rip, that, I ripped yeah. it. He kept on saying, I ripped it. I ripped it. And, yeah. and, and that's why it's like this. I was like, this happened like two weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. and like, he's now like owning accountability for this. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so glad he ripped it now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then he, then he said to Grace, can fix, can we fix it? Mm-hmm. Mm. And he, and then, and then he wanted we taped it together and he was so happy. I was like, this is amazing. These are the moments that I love the most. But I want to write kids' books. I think we could write a good kids' book. If the Very Hungry Caterpillar has sold hundreds of millions of copies, like, we got to give this a shot, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know we do. I know we do. It's harder than it looks. Like, to your point, you read The Very Hungry Caterpillar as an adult and you're like, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's so just this is the book. book. We got, this is the book. Ours is going to be the very, very hungry caterpillar, <laughs> and we're gonna we're going to do every drawing just close enough uh-huh. where we can't get sued, and then yeah. we're going to price it twenty percent cheaper. Great, let's do this. We're just a very, very hungry caterpillar, and uh, coming to a bookstore near you. The very, very hungry uh, centipede. But he's not eating a hot dog. He's eating a pork bun. <laughs> he's yeah. not eating pizza. He's yeah. eating dandan dan noodles. Yeah, he's the very, very hungry silkworm. And he's- silkworm. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Can I? We talk a little bit on this pod with Tom about what we did poorly as parents, and it just dawned on me. I will be very honest what I've done poorly, and sometimes I have to really sort of like repent when I'm doing it because I'm like, what am I doing? There's some books that Hugo likes that are dense, that are not always easy to read because the words are left side of the page, 
changing font size all over. It's sure, a pain sure, in the sure. Ass. Yeah. And when it's like the sixth book, you know, I sometimes I like take more pages than I need to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> when you turn the page, you actually turn three pages. Oops. Yeah, yeah. You've done it. Are you guilty of this too? <laughs> yes. Of cheating your child yes. of literature. Yes. Okay. Especially when it's the last book before bedtime. I'm just yeah. like, and you're just like, once and you read time, it now like three times, and they lived happily ever after. <laughs> you just go through <laughs> as many pages as you can without them noticing. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I feel horrible at myself. Yeah, but, I, well. I, but if you're not doing that as a parent, then like, shame on you. Shame <laughs> <Yeah>. on you. <laughs> Stop wasting your time. Don't don't shame on me. Shame on you. <laughs> yeah, I love that because it's a what you did poorly plus a life hack all rolled into one. <laughs> but oh man, this is not good. working. It's also not working so well for me. So I got to figure out. He's knowing that. I was like, that was read really fast, Dad. <laughs> anyway. We've gone on long enough. Um, if you want to continue listening, we encourage you to do so. It's a great podcast. Uh, conversation with Tom Wyman, who came out recently with a book titled Infinitely Full of Hope, Fatherhood and the Future in an Age of Crisis and Disaster. That certainly was the past 12 <laughs> months or so plus. And it's not often that you get someone as well read as a deep understanding of humanity as Tom sharing his his stories of being a dad. And uh, I thought we'd, we'd want to have him on change up the dad's sort of uh, the do's and don'ts and, and the pros and cons with a little bit more of the philosophizing. Did I say that right? Philosophizing uh, of, of what it means to be a parent, especially moving forward and uh, bumming me out. Every newspaper is like declining birth rates. I know. <laughs> around the world. I know. I know. Get out there and make some babies, people. Come on now. Get out there. Thanks, guys. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We are joined with Tom Wyman and philosopher who I wanted on this podcast and specifically for a dad's episode with Chris and myself because I read a an a, a opinion piece he wrote in the New York Times and I don't know this year has been a little bit crazy and it, I, it was so moving I was like wow this guy 
is writing what it's like, like it's a, this idea of fatherhood in a way that's much more smart, much more intelligent, more eloquent than I could ever think of. Um, Chris, when I told you to read the article, what did you think? Yeah, I was, I was, it was literally my reaction was exactly what you said, which, because you and I have had versions of this conversation a little bit, which is to be short, like, should you have kids? Is it responsible? Is it okay to have children? And, and Dave and I have had versions of that conversation, but when he sent me the article, I was like, Oh, thank God! An actual smart person is going to tell me the answer to this. Um, I mean, Tom, the 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 uh, the the headline of the article in the Times sort of says it all. Can you maybe get in and tell us top line what this is all about? Yeah. Um, well, basically, um, when my uh, when we we me and my partner conceived a child um, uh, in uh, that was towards the end of twenty eighteen. Um, uh, I started to be sort of hit by, you know, these sort of, uh, probably belatedly actually, uh, hit by these sort of ethical questions about, well, you know, not just, is it okay to bring a child into the world, but like this child that's gestating in my partner's womb, can I, is there any sort of, is there any way I can kind of promise it, um, a sort of good enough life? Right. Is there any kind of hope that it could actually, its existence could be something that it might, um, you know, when, when it's old enough, sort of think, hey, you know, I'm glad to be in this world. Um, <laughs> because when we think about the future, typically we're thinking about nowadays, we're thinking about some, a world that's just getting worse and worse. And you know, all this was happening before the pandemic, uh, which has sort of proved um, that things can get worse in unexpected ways very suddenly. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I flight some of these questions. And I, um, I'm a philosopher. Um, and I decided to write a book that sort of was a memoir of becoming a father and exploring the concept of of hope and um, you know, what is hope and whether can we actually sort of in a way kind of rationally, I suppose, or justifiably lay claim to hope now in a world that just seems to be getting worse and worse. And, um, you know, you'll have to read the book to to find out why. But the answer, I, a conclusion I come to is yes. Um, even if we assume the world is is as bad as it could possibly be right now, um, we can still lay some sort of claim to hope, precisely because um, our children might not be like us and might manage to do things differently. <laughs> that would be the most hopeful version. Yeah. So, and, and just if we raise them right, it's not just totally passive. I'm not just like the next generation will save us. We have to actually do stuff now. But it, you know, right. Anyway. And and the yeah. book was called "Infinitely Full of Hope: Fatherhood in the Future in an Age of Crisis and Disaster." And "Infinitely Full of Hope," I believe, is a Kafka reference. So, yeah. Uh, you know, all sorts of double entendre there. And then the article was titled "Why, Despite Everything, You Should Have Kids" in parentheses if you want them. Dave, were you did did these questions come up for you prior to Hugo's birth and and with your impending second coming? Like, should is am I bringing a child into a world that's going to be worse than what I knew? Yeah, I, you know, this is something that I I, I seriously contemplated. Um, I think for me it was a little bit different. Was like I know all my shortcomings as a person, whether they're nature versus nurture. I do know. Some of it is genetic, and, and and there's a good chance that a lot of my mental illness will, will be passed down. And I know that that's been passed down probably for a long time in my in my family. And that's something I wrestled with before, and I've talked to a lot of friends that are said, you know, I don't know if I want to, you know, bring that sort of 
life. We're just talking about like mental health, not even me talking about the state of the world, which I was thinking about a lot. And so that's something I thought about for many, many, many years. It was like, oh, this is something that sucks. I don't want, I don't want this to to be the life for anybody. And um, you know, I I didn't really come to an answer to that. It's just something I still wrestle with. I mean, I I got my my uh you know, a lot of my mind coded, like de- decoded on the DNA to actually see. And I was like, oh, this is actually 100%, 50% going to be passed down to Hugo. And I don't know, like there's no guarantee. And I think about this in my mind quite a bit about the default setting of an individual and what is my responsibility to, to make sure that I prepare them as best as possible. So, and that, that, and if I could distill it as quickly as possible, is something I wrestled with well before Hugo was even born. Yeah. So, one, so the way we usually run these dads podcasts, and obviously this is a little unusual because we've brought a philosopher on uh, and a dad to talk to us about this, but, you know, generally dads episodes go parenting fails, parenting wins, tips and tricks. And uh, Dave, if you allow me, I think we could sort of apply that same format in a certain way. So Dave's just kind of talked about the argument against for him in terms of having a kid or, or why he would be afraid to have a kid. Tom, can you sort of lay out for us the case against, generally speaking, and maybe your own personal case against having children? Two broad cases I use in the book. Um, the first would be a kind of ontological claim about reality or about human existence, which is just that existence as such is something so bad to have, right? Because um, uh-huh. if you exist, you can feel pain. And the fact that you can feel pain, this is from a South African philosopher called David Benatar. He argues the fact that you, existence is bad because if you can, the fact that you can feel pain sort of outweighs um, any benefits you might have from being able to also feel pleasure. Um, uh, which, I mean, <laughs> Uh-huh. In, in part, I think he relies on the idea that like, like existence is characterized more by pain than by pleasure. I think that's also debatable. Um, the second case is a kind of more claim that's sort of more indexed to what's going on right now, which is that um, while existence might be you know, perfectly fine in some cases, it, the way the world is now means that it would be bad um, to have more kids, either for the sake of those kids, because, you know, climate collapse or something like this is going to come along and ruin their chances of ever living well or um the fact or kids themselves will kind of accelerate those sorts of problems so um the more human beings consuming more energy means the climate's likely to collapse that's the one that speaks to me most i think and probably to you dave i I imagine beyond the sort of what am i going to do to my children is this is not responsible well, yeah, Tom, I mean, that my initial conversations for me started individualistically, right? About how I might pass something down. But, you know, uh, Anthony Mann, a good friend of Chris Yang's, like after his first son was born, who was uh, helped start Mission Chinese in San Francisco, this great restaurant, he started caring a lot about the environment. I'm like, well, that's weird. I mean, for me, that was my initial reaction. Like, that's like, he's just like militantly passionate about this. Mm-hmm. I was like, Maybe I'll feel that way. I mean, I care about it, but I now I'm like, I don't care about it like he does. And like almost immediately when we knew that our the our Hugo was was going to be a healthy child, hopefully, you know, in two, three months in the womb, 
I started to really question, like, is this the right thing to do? Not just on an environmental impact. It's just the idea of suffering in general. It's like, I am just going to bring a child, whether my bad parenting or not, in a world that is guaranteed to just be hard and, and potentially miserable. And I was traveling around the world a lot at the time. We were filming a lot of TV shows. And when you travel, the more I travel, the more I just see suffering, right? The hardships of like, wow, this person doesn't have any upward mobility. No matter how well they do their job, it's just never going to happen. Just your lot in life. And it really, it really fucked with me. I was incredibly depressed just thinking about these existential questions of life that I had thought about, but now I'm like, it was from a selfish point of view. Now I'm like, oh, is Hugo going to be like, thanks a lot, dad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a moment last summer, Dave, I think, peak pandemic, wildfires just burning half of our state. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in California, it's home, just to the ground. You couldn't go outside. You couldn't, you, we were trapped. And I just remember sitting there, maybe I was talking to Dave, maybe I wasn't, but I just felt so, I guess, guilty when I looked at my children when they were when my daughter and my newborn son were like clearly losing their shit <laughs> unable to go outside unable to process all of the now multiple reasons why they couldn't set foot outside see their friends see their family do anything and the prospect of it only being worse every year from now until the end of time i i felt completely paralyzed <laughs> that yeah. that i had made the wrong decision not not, not that i I've never don't do not regret having my kids. I don't mean it in that way at all. I love my children to death. I just mean shit. That was the overwhelming feeling was just oh shit. Yeah, I mean, I think you know because obviously I can sort of relate to our story. Similar, I've experienced sort of similar things over the course of the past year. Although because I live in the UK, the weather is typically a lot less extreme. Um, but for uh, now, for yeah, now, for now, for now, exactly for now, <laughs> we need to talk about this sort of those feelings more, right? Because I think we need to just kind of use the guilt. Um, you know, because a lot of this stuff is just, well, we look on this stuff and we realize, you know, there's sort of, we think there's no way anyone's actually going to change the course of the world to sort of do the things that we need, know we need to do in order to stop this happening. Um, and we also feel sort of like quite isolated from each other and sort of unable to come together and actually change things. But like, there must be, like, it must, if we, like, if we kind of like, you know, end up, there must be some way, surely, of, um, of, of treating what we're experiencing as an imperative, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or else I'm just totally wrong about how human action works and people can't actually do anything differently ever. Can I ask uh, something? This is just me, how I was thinking about, again, being a parent, talking to a professor, and it's something that fucked me up when I was in college taking some philosophy courses about the idea of like what is best in life. And I think it was King Midas asking Salinas and Salinas says yeah. something like best not to be born ultimately, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The secret to life is actually just don't be born. And I was like, oh, you know why a lot of people don't talk about this? Because it's so sad. <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad and I think this is a weird podcast for people, but, you know, we're talking to somebody that's talking about potentially all these philosophers that he is, you know, incredibly aware of, writes about, and a lot of people may not know. But So I'm just trying to break it down to maybe the, the most basic question. How can you prove that Salinas was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. How can you argue against him? Because it seems to be like, if you accept Buddhism as a faith, you're like, yeah, 
It's it's everything is full of terrible. Right. So what's the That's, argument for? What is the pro here? Uh, How do we pro? counteract this the sadness? Uh, part of the case for having children and for existing in general is just the fact that we do already exist, I think, right? Um, but we have been given existence as a problem and we have to find some way of responding to it, right? Um, having been given existence and being able to experience pain, I nevertheless personally believe that the moment, the f- even very few moments where I feel genuinely kind of totally content and happy do make being alive worthwhile. Um, I hope that when my son grows up, he will feel the same way. And he himself is something that makes sort of my existence worthwhile. He happens to exist. You know, we can't sort of do anything else about that. So all I've got to do is sort of like try and find some sort of way of um, puzzling through with that um, and sort of trying to raise him to be as strong as possible to confront a reality which um, has actually always been very difficult. Yeah, I, I can't think of a when it comes to why, because I wrestle with the same stuff. Uh, the the why I shouldn't. When it comes to the decision to have it, I can't. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't have one that's not wrapped up in sort of selfishness or whatever, just like procreation drive. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted kids, and there was no amount of sort of philosophical should you shouldn't you that was going to convince me otherwise. And I think it's totally megalomaniacal. And if I really, because I've been thinking about this, and if I really boil it, boil it, boil it down, and hopefully one of you will come with me on this, <laughs> uh, it's that I thought I had something else to offer in the form of children that I would raise too. Mm-hmm. That I could raise good kids that would become good adults that would be that would contribute to society to the betterment of society that would sure have a carbon footprint associated with them but would hopefully be raised to think that that is a problem that needs resolving and honestly if i'm being really crass about it i'd be like if i don't have a kid somebody worse than me is gonna have a kid and the net will be worse than if i don't you know like i I know that sounds selfish and, and like i said megalomaniacal and crazy but if i really think about why i decided ultimately to do it that's it i don't know and I wonder, this is what your article and more or less what your book sort of talks about is, and this is, again, my misunderstanding, which is why I did terribly in school, but yet I still took these classes, is having a child in some ways is the rejection of your, of your, uh, of accepting absurdity, right? This is your rejection to, 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 to imagine that, like, this is my decision that no one else can tell me no and by rejecting the absurdity, rejecting the notion that life is suffering and painful, that is victory. And that is like the first step to actually stemming the tide and, and, and like doing something positive, right? And, and because of that, if you accept that, if like life is suffering, you should die, suicide, these t- terrible morbid thoughts, which is why I weirdly like thinking about them because it causes me to be optimistic, hmm. Right. So if you do choose this, then be the best parent you possibly can be. Give them as many opportunities as possible to be the best person so maybe they can make a positive difference on this planet and do something extraordinary. There's no guarantee, but that's your role. And, you know, in something that I'm wrestling with right now, especially in this moment where a lot of people have been questioning for the first time, maybe trauma and existential thoughts they may have never had before. And the idea that, you know, having a child right now, you know, can't be seen as this glorious event. Like when we told people that 
we were expecting a second child, people were pe- people in my life were so happy to bring some kind of hope, in, and that's how they saw it. I think. But at the same time, I really wrestle with, is this selfish? And I dawned on me that maybe both things can be true simultaneously. It is an act of selfishness, but also can be an act of hope. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Because I wrestle with the selfishness aspect. like, does this really need to happen? Even though everything you just said makes total sense, part of me is like, oh, man, like, how do I justify this when X, Y, and Z needs to change? Certainly, in I mean, in philosophy, there's a long history of people basically saying people arguing that the sort of sum total of our selfish choices is ultimately going to result in some sort of equilibrium of some sort where things are sort of sort of optimized right i mean adam smith is obviously is, is, is very associated with this but actually marx argues pretty similar things right no marx actually thinks that you're never going to get a socialist communist revolution through people being nice it's going to happen because People selfishly, the proletariat are going to overthrow bourgeoisie because they can, right? Um, and, and so, um, you know, so there's lots of lots of philosophers have argued that. So um, you could, uh, yeah, you could. Sort, I mean, you could. Sort, and you know, in a way, selfishness is sort of inevitable um, because of sort of what we are. Um, you know, so it it would be it would be nice if um, if just by being selfish, we could um, always get better outcomes. I don't think that's necessarily true, though. Um, I think that, you know, um, in a way, sort of virtue comes from finding a way to negotiate selfishness into what other people want as well, right? Like someone like Schopenhauer, who was like maybe the most unhappy person of all time. <laughs> so such a pessimist. But I find it hard, again, to argue against, like, you know, he's just thought being being a parent is hell, right? Yeah. It's like, why? Why would you do this? It changes you from the things that you could be doing, right? If you're trying to do a positive impact on the world, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm having a hard time articulating it, but this is what I wrestle with. And I don't know if any other parent is right now because, you know, the, the child rates are definitely lower this year globally, I think. And it's just like, maybe as you guys are saying, it's a good thing that we're populating this world, but that was not part of the plan. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Chris, I don't think that was part of your intention. Like, I got to populate the world <laughs> to save all people. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm megalomaniacal, but not not that much. Yeah, that was not part of the plan for sure. Yeah. How do you brush aside all of these philosophers that have basically just said, it is not what you should be doing? Yeah. I mean, how does it not just put you in a bad mood? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, as a philosopher, what I do there is sort of what you find, you try and figure out where is this coming from. Um, you try and figure out where the sort of inconsistencies in his argument, right? And I suppose it, it takes a kind of moral strength, um, but we can be better than the, the, than Schopenhauer paints us, I, I hope. I hate agreeing with him. <laughs> yeah, I, he's easy to, like, um, yeah, like he's, 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 he's easy to agree with sometimes. Yeah, it depends what mood you're in. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh lord. Uh, so we've all elected to ignore Schopenhauer. <laughs> we've I think all, within his life did about all the time. He used to mutter to himself in restaurants about how bad everyone was rather than anyone talking to. <laughs> I think Davis really? does that too. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, uh, he used to like put a coin on the table and say like he'd he'd pay for everyone's dinner in, in a restaurant if he could have some interesting conversation. And he always just took it in the end. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, 
Sounds like a fun dude. I, um, so we've all elected to have, you know, uh, both of you are expecting a second child. I've had two yeah. children. We've got, we, we have for better. I mean, I was going to say for better or worse, but you know, through whatever our, our justifications are, we have wrestled with these questions. We have elected to have them. Can we spend a little time talking about the, uh, the nitty gritty of parenthood here? Just some wins and losses. Cause one, one thing that I, I will put in the win column, although it's weird, is something that you, you brought up, Tom, the, the sort of repetitive nature of play and storytelling with kids. And it took, I mean, my daughter's four now. It basically took us four years to understand that, like, the repetition of the game or the story she wants us to tell or the book we, she wants us to read is not necessarily just because, like, they are a simpler being and they just are entertained by the same, you know, flashing light, blinking and blinking and blinking, but it is actually them trying to process the world. And I'll tell you a very specific example of this. And I count this as a win, again, even though it's bizarre. But my daughter, every night before bed, asks for a story and she dictates the topic. And for probably a year now, the topic almost without fail every single night has been, can you tell me a story about, insert character, uh, Pikachu, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, Donald Duck, whoever. Tell me a story about when Huey gets hurt or tell me a story about when uh, Louie gets sick. And so it was every single, I'm not kidding, it's been every single night for one year being like, well, Huey, Dewey, and Louie were out in the woods and Dewey saw a mushroom and Huey said, don't eat that, but Dewey did it anyway. And then he got sick and he had to go back home and um, throw it up, blah, 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 blah. When I say it took us like a full fucking year to make this realization, my wife made the realization and she said, one night she was laying there with Ruby and Ruby was trying to decide what story she wanted, who she wanted to get hurt or who she wanted to get sick on this particular occasion and what the story was going to be. And my wife finally said, Ruby, do you want to just find, do you want to just hear the story about when Huey got coronavirus? And Ruby was like, Oh my God. Yes. And then made my wife tell the story three times about what happens when you get coronavirus and how you can get better or why it's scary and why it's dangerous. And that moment for me was such a, like a, a, a win in understanding what she really was asking for. Simultaneously, it's a huge loss because I was like, I just told 275 <laughs> motherfucking stories about Huey eating mushrooms and falling downstairs and falling off a boat for this shit. This is about coronavirus. <laughs> I talked about coronavirus the whole time. That was, a, that was a weird one for me, guys. Like figuring out that that's what my, my daughter was really asking. And it wasn't even me. It was my, my wife. That's very key. What do you guys got? You guys got any wins? Any anything in the win column as parents recent days? Um, he's uh, well. So for Iggy is really not into kids TV for the most part. So um, for the last year, over a year, we, we've only been able to watch this show. I don't know if you guys have it over there. It's called Hey Doggy. It's a British show. Uh oh, sounds um, wonderful about, though. Uh, yeah, it's it's about a um, a talking. It's a talking dog. It's about a big dog who woofs. He's a kind of, it's like a scout master. Um, and uh, he's got these little like kid animals who go to the, it's called the squirrel club, which is confusing because none of them are squirrels and, and they, um, you know, have adventures and learn about the world. Right. So it's, it's really funny. Right. Uh, like there's one episode, for example, which is a seven minute parody of apocalypse now, just for children. Uh, All right. Just uh, so, 
Um, he's been he's been watching this, and it's it's been you know bearable, right? Um, but uh, it reached a point where um, it's a good show, but it reached a point where like I was having like really elaborate theories about this show, right? I couldn't think better than that. <laughs> and um, as just, a philosopher is wont to yeah, do, sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, then the other last week, UK Netflix put they, they put Jeopardy on UK Netflix, and you can sort of watch old episodes of Jeopardy, which I love because I love quizzing. And quizzes, and so I just started watching that. Right, all he's interested in now, not interested in like any consuming. I just wants to watch Jeopardy, what? right? And he just when it, the categories are announced, he's just ecstatic. He just goes <laughs> like when Alex Trebek comes, he's like, ah, it's like, so like it's yeah. Um, he's just when, a sucker know, for those Trebek puns, huh? Those those puns at the top of the categories. Yeah, every he time. loves it, and like he just loves them buzzing in and stuff, right? He just loves this sort of like yeah. Oh, and he man. just looks at me, and he kind of like gives his little kind of nonsense as answers and stuff yeah <laughs> finding something you can watch but the kids will watch is a huge victory yeah what do you got chang um i have really become the the only time hugo needs me is to go poo poo and i'm okay with that <laughs> i'm, I'm totally here. okay with that poo and I'm, I'm the shit i'm the i'm, the, I'm on shit patrol <laughs> and I, no, no no joke here guys i i love it I never thought if you told me ten years ago you're going to enjoy cleaning up shit, I'm like, all right, that's crazy. <laughs> but like teaching them how to go to the bathroom and it's just been a lot because now just trying to figure it out and it's I don't know it's weird no, no one told me how much time I'd be staring at my son on my knees while he's on the toilet like. I, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody told me the hours that have happened. Uh, I believe Schopenhauer did, Schopenhauer did say <laughs> that that was going to happen, I believe. And honestly, I don't mind it at all. And, and he's had, he's, he's been great. He's, he's been figuring out how to do it. Um, and having that progress together has been, been like a father-son bonding moment. You know, I always thought father-son, father-son bonding moments would be like playing sport or something like that. I never thought it would be going to poo. And mm-hmm. that's my that's my my victory because I figured out like what I'm I'm beginning to figure out what he likes and the times and the books that he wants to read and and like the milk that he, now like last night I figured out like oh he just wants his milk super cold before he goes to bed so I put ice cubes in it and he's like oh it's not sour he says it's not sour anymore I'm like <laughs> you know I'm like so I'm so attuned to like. What I've learned to do in restaurants is just to see a guest reaction mm-hmm. and to tailor it. And I'm like so in the zone with his expressions and uh, what his needs are that I'm like constantly tinkering with 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 how to make whatever he does just a little bit better. So that's been really positive for me. I feel like that's a huge win. Um well, I think that what you and just I said is it. also like what you were saying, Dave, is it's interesting because like just like in restaurants, what people actually want isn't always what they say too, right? Like yes. Hugo saying this is sour. He doesn't really mean that. He means something else that you're attuned to. I think that's a huge part of parenting for sure. Is like when they say and something, that's a like, longer what do they really story mean? in and of itself. Because like clearly, I was like he's saying it's too warm, like his milk because he's he, she's been chugging milk, <laughs> and I'm like okay, like I know that it's so I keep the ice, I keep the milk in the ice chest so it gets mm-hmm. super cold. But now it's dawned on me like he just actually wants things super cold all the time. So like you know these are little victories. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of the, ne- the 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 things that I have done incredibly poorly, 
Uh, unlike your son, unlike Iggy, Hugo loves TV. <laughs> 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 he loves it so much. And uh, he's he loves Disney so much. He loves... I think YouTube is really dangerous for kids. Gecko, the, the garage, is really dangerous to him. Mm -hmm. And Blippi, never let your kids watch Blippi. Um, I, I get it now. Why parents are like, I just need you to watch TV. I don't care. Like, I, I, I need 20 minutes of, of time so I can finish something or make dinner. I'm just going to put you in front of the TV. And if you told me I was going to do that again, like five, six years ago, I'd say like, that's horrible. Now I'm like, this has become the norm. The fact that it's become the norm to me makes me sad. <laughs> the equivalent we have for Iggy, right? The thing that calms, like, just calms him down, like, is this video that his granny took of her praising him while he com successfully completes a shape sorter, <laughs> right? And he's like, he's doing it, and he's like, like it's from like several weeks ago, and since then he's got really into doing a shape sorter, and he's like just expert at it, just do it immediately. And he's just like, but he take, he's taking a while to do it and sort of gabbering to her about something, right? And um, when he's watching it, it's just the funniest thing. So he'll like be looking at his hands and like what he's like, he's, he's like just thinking about his technique. He's like a top athlete, you know, like sort of analyzing his game. And he'll like, he, he repeats back to us the nonsense that he's been saying, like, we've gone blah, 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 sort of stuff that he's been saying to his granny. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, it that just absorbs him like nothing else. Um, and TV just doesn't do it for some reason. I've got I've got a little bit of a loss, and I gave credit to my my wife for the victory in uh, figuring out what my daughter was really asking about. And now I'm going to throw her under the bus slightly in in this loss because <laughs> uh, we we split bath time duties, but um, most of the time we just use whatever you know honest brand uh, bath products or or just like a, a sort of typical whatever brand of more more or less fragrance free shampoos and things like that. My wife bought some artisanal brand of whatever. I cannot remember the name of it, but I put it on my son's head and I was like, oh my God, this is patchouli scented fucking baby shampoo. And now my kids smell like a couple of Berkeley freshman uh, dorm livers all the time. They come up and give me hugs and I'm like, oh, I have to like slightly suppress a reaction to like... Uh, turn away from them because they smell so much like patchouli all the fucking time. And we're cheap, so I'm not going to throw away this soap. I'm just going to try to use too much of it. But it's a vicious cycle. Now my kids smell like extra patchouli stink. So uh, my wife has also recognized this as a problem. <laughs> this podcast is insane. We went from Schopenhauer and Kafka to my stupid patchouli story. Uh, somebody else Tom, how, how, how much do you think the average person even knows what the hell was talked about today? <laughs> from the, the wisdom of Salinas to Schopenhauer to the birth of tragedy. Um, uh, well, the wisdom of Salinas maps on quite well to us, too, because what's the best thing is to not smell of patchouli at all. What's the next <laughs> best thing to, to immediately to stop smelling as soon as possible? Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess the only, the only philosophically right thing to do would be to throw that bottle of patchouli soap yeah. away immediately. Yeah. No, Dave, I think it's a very small Venn diagram of people who enjoy or not enjoy, who understand this podcast today. And uh, I'm just right on the outside of that. <laughs> I'm not sure I've understood everything you guys have been talking about with philosophy, but it's uh, it's been interesting. Um, Tom, you got any other losses in the parenting column? Yeah, I mean, like, um, over the weekend, um, Iggy's been uh, a bit ill, 
Um, so he's had a sort of he had a he's had a little cold basically. Um, but he didn't have but like we we did I didn't handle it very well. So on Saturday, and I've sort of, over pandemic. I don't know if you've found this, but I sort of dreaded weekends, right? Um, because uh, I've just had nothing <laughs> yes. to do, man. Like you know, there's just been nothing to do, <laughs> uh, especially during winter because obviously winter. I mean, winter here was just so wet. You just could barely leave the house with a child because he would just get soaked and miserable. But um, we, things have sort of opened up a bit more here now and you're able to do stuff like go to the beach, which we did on Saturday. And um, he basically, he normally loves going on a train, which takes to the beach. Um, and this time he was just sort of not feeling it at all. He was just really down. He tried to go to sleep. And we sort of thought, well, he'll... And, I, and you know, my, my partner's just always like... Um, you know, she's always very worried about him, basically, like it's a mother. And so obviously we'll just be like, he's not feeling very well. It's not for some head. And I just obviously just wanted to persist and just have the day I'd sort of planned. Just be like, he'll just get better, right? And this basically culminated in about 3 p.m. He's, we've just got this toddler just sat, like, mi- like you can't imagine someone so miserably eating an ice cream. Just like, he absolutely <laughs> loves ice cream. So just like, sort of like, he's yeah. like, just grinning uh, every bite and then just collapsing as he sort of realized I'm just not able to enjoy this thing that I love at all. <laughs> and so, and eventually my partner was just like taking, to try to take it, press it away from him so he could just stop having this horrible experience. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't let it go. Actually, that's probably quite Schopenhauerian, right? He just, you know, he wanted to keep eating ice cream, but he wasn't enjoying. He, he was just clinging to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, no, so that was the, a loss. I should have thought more carefully about how you might be feeling. <laughs> Sadness, uh, even in in, in joy. Um, well, one last thing I wanted to ask both of you about because I don't have an answer to this at all. And actually, I don't know. Is in the, I don't know if this is the case in the UK, but uh, this podcast is coming out here on Thursday. Um, Sunday is Father's Day. Yeah. What is what is Father's Day in in your respective homes and do you milk it in any way shape or form? Do you make any requests out of you know our special day? Is there Father's Day in the UK? Yeah, it's it's on Sunday, yeah, it's the same day, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and so basically, you know, I I haven't really thought about it at all, right? Um, you know, I've just seen cards around. I believe but he, my son has made me a Father's Day card at nursery because the nursery attendants have hinted strongly at it and also because he came home from nursery on Friday demanding to use paints and chalk and things like this, having done some art. Yeah, there's a card um, coming your way. Card coming yeah, your way. Yeah, there's a card coming my way. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't, I would never milk it personally because, uh, like, I don't, I don't like being made a fuss of. So I would, um, yeah, I'll just take a card and nod and just stoically move on from that. Do you <laughs> see? I'm sure it would be a lovely card. I'd be proud of it for making it. Uh, I hope nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> what has happened in Father's Day past? This is your third Father's Day now? I Second mean, Father's no, Day. I mean, like, you know, whatever is the card, I know that Grace wrote it. So, you know. <laughs> You're like, so this card you know, is a lie. I, unfortunately, this I'm not able lie, to, like, go back to my childlike state before, you know, I've learned how the world works. And this is why I'm an unhappy person um, because I'd be much happier if I got the card, believe it. Like, Oh my God, Hugo wrote this. How lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh man. That's really funny. Uh, I mean, now I feel like uh, once again, out on the limb here, but 
so for Mother's Day, my my wife was like, her birthday falls around Mother's Day too, and she was like, uh, I don't know if this is okay, and I feel guilty asking you this, but for my Mother's Day uh, birthday present, can I just leave? <laughs> can I just not be around you guys? It's like, no, of course, of course, of course. And uh, I have not requested that's, the same thing. That's a great present. Yeah, it's the greatest gift. Might be the greatest gift. One night. It's the greatest gift a parent yeah. can get is some time not yeah. being a parent. And I have not asked for the same thing, but my wife has sort of uh, kind of volunteered to say, like, oh, you know, Saturday I can take the kids up to see their grandparents if you know you wanted to hang out or go to the beach or something like that. And um, I was like. This is a trap. This is a trap. This is a trap. It's a trap, right? And then I kind of tentatively was like, "Oh, that sounds cool." So I think that I have I have uh, successfully milked that gift for myself as well, guys. Wonderful. Highly nicely done. Nicely done. Highly recommend it if you if you have the means. But then this oh. sort of undermines my sort of whole argument of having kids is good and meaningful and stuff. <laughs> everyone, everyone wants. Everyone, what you want is just to not do it anymore, just for, yeah. at least for a bit. No, I mean, like I like doing it normally, just for yeah. a bit. It's just good. No, we did it. We undermined it. Tom, thank you for for joining us um, and, and, and talking about being a dad. Go buy his book, Infinitely Full of Hope, Fatherhood, and the Future in an Age of Crisis and Disaster. Um, been a real pleasure to have you on, and we're looking forward to hearing about uh, baby number two, and um, that's going to be amazing. He's going to be a brother. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. All right, guys, if you're feeling up for some reading, we mentioned a bunch of philosophers <laughs> in this podcast. Um, the ones that he mentioned, honestly, I don't, I did, I have not read, but um, I don't know if this is going to be a light reading for anybody. And outside of college, I haven't read these guys ever, although I've read yeah. some stuff, but don't read Schopenhauer. She's going to bum you out. <laughs> And if you're a dad listening to the dad's podcast, you almost certainly don't have time to be reading Schopenhauer. So yeah. don't ask. And if you're list. a dad, you're like, you know what I want to read for some light dad reading? The Myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus. Where the first <laughs> sentence says the only philosophical like, question in life that's problematic is suicide. No, no, you don't want to read this. <laughs> we gave all you right, all guys, you need to know. Give us five stars. Bye. Happy Father's Day. <laughs>